0: I am absolutely horrified of heights, okay? Like, I, if I tell you I'm, I'm scared of heights, like, there was a, a d- the other day, I was, like, up on a retaining wall, uh, and I, I work in, in pools, and so, like, every once in a while, you get, like, something weird, so, like, there's a retaining wall, and I'm looking down, like, maybe five feet, and there's water, too, right? There's five feet in water, and I'm going, like, taking steps back? I don't even want to mess, like, with that, right? I just think... And what's weird is God made me tall, so I feel like that's kind of a joke, right? Like, God made a guy who's super afraid of heights really tall, which is lame. Um, but uh, I, I guess the, the best picture I had, <laughs> roller coasters for me are terrible, okay? Like, it's like I've gone on them, but it's only through huge amounts of peer pressure, like just enormous, like you can't even stand up underneath that amount of peer pressure, so I, I would go. And as a youth pastor, being afraid of things, People would poke at them and like find them, and it's like, oh, you're gonna sit next to me on the roller coaster. And I'm like, that's fine, but I'm gonna be in another place. Like I'm not actually gonna be with you on that roller coaster. I close my eyes, open them as soon as I feel the things slow down, not going up, right? Um uh, for me, I'm just horribly afraid of heights. And and what's odd about it, I've always been like this: like, when I first started to become a believer, I was like, ah. Oh, I was like courageous for the Lord. I was like I'm going to do anything. I'll do whatever you want, God. I'll, I'll 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 climb any mountain. I'll 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 fall down any mountain if that's what you want, if that makes you glorified somehow. I'll do whatever you want. Um and and so I got to this point in my life and my walk with God where I was like so confident that I could that I was something that I could do something. That I was courageous, and I was powerful, and it seemed. And God gave me that power. He freed me from death. He freed me from my sin. And I was like, yeah. And then uh, I got into a mentorship relationship with somebody. And, uh, and they were great. Like, they were an awesome person. And, and so I was telling them about this experience. And God put on my heart a heart for the Muslim world. And I still have that heart. I watch CNN, and I, I see pictures of Syria. And, and you guys, I cry. Because God put that on my heart, and I'm like, ah, I just, I love this people, and I, I don't fully know why. And so in 2007, uh, God, he's it, like messed with me, and, and all of a sudden, I find myself a part of a trip that is going to Syria. And uh, so in 2007, before all this mess was happening, and um, and it was three months before the trip— And the trip, obviously, you need your passport, you need, you know, a lot of money, and you need some other things, right? Well, I didn't even have my birth certificate to get my passport, okay? Mama, like, sold me upriver, no birth certificate. (laughs) Sent me off to college with no documentation, right? Like, I was totally that guy. So I had to get my birth certificate rushed, get my passport done find $3,000 in seat cushions without breaking into homes and get a visa to a country that does not necessarily appreciate I'm going there in three months. And so all of that happened in two months, which was like insane. I mean, that's that's nuts, right? I was like, okay, clearly, Lord, like you meant this. Like one person gave me $3,000 and said we... We believe that you are supposed to go. Here you go. And I went, I'm going. Like, this is great. I love this. This is awesome. And my mentor sits me down before the trip, and I'm stoked, right? I'm like, we're going to go and pray for this country. We're going to love them. I'm going to do something for the Lord. I'm going to serve God. I'm so excited. And, and he sits me down, and, and he goes, I'm scared for you. I'm, I'm, gonna be, I'm like, I'm going to be fine, right? Like, Like, when I look at the statistics at the time, it's like one of the safest countries in the world. It's all good, right? I'm not afraid of going to this country. And he goes, no, that's not what I'm afraid for. He goes, I'm afraid that this good thing that you're doing is going to be nothing more than a feather in your cap. That this is going to be nothing more to you than some sort of Christian spiritual adventure. And for the rest of your life, you're going to take pride in the fact that you went there, that you did this for God. You're going, to feel, you're going to feel a sense of pride when you talk about the things that you've done for God. And so this particular passage that we're diving into today is like putting a guy like me on top of a dam with my feet hanging over the edge, looking straight down. And when God says, jump, this is one of the few things for me that I don't ask how high as my feet have already left the ground. And there's a big reason for that. Because this, to me, is the whole Coming together of what it means to follow Jesus, not just to have a religion or a faith that you believe in, not just adhere to a set of good teachings, because what this talks about today is extremely difficult for us. Now, I, I, I'm including myself in that. Because I'm going to tell you a secret. You probably love Jesus. But more than likely, if you think about it, you don't really want to be like him. If you look at your life, and you look at what you feel, how you view other people, how you view your stuff... You're like me. You love Jesus. Gosh, you see so much greatness in him. But you more than likely don't want to be like him. And when you look at his life and you look at your life and you go, wait a second, for me to be like him is gonna be way harder than anything I ever thought. Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. I'll give you some time to flip there because I went ahead and copy pasted them onto the page that I'm reading from today as monotone as possible, remember? I'm not sure why I brought this up with me if I have all of them on the page, right? All right, I'm going to flip open too. That's not fair. I just opened right to the page. I'm sorry. All right. Um, It's not because I'm great. All right? We established that earlier. Hopefully, we established that earlier. I don't know if I actually did. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. The hymn is Jesus. Okay? They're talking to Jesus. And he, Jesus, said to her, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand, one at your left, in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am going to drink? And they, okay, mom stops talking. It's all of them now. They said back, We are able. Jesus said to them, You will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and that the great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many so the beginning the opening you've got which do you really have to bring your mom to this fight right like i mean come on like like mom you talk to him right he'll respect you better not necessarily okay but in other verses in other in other gospels you see that it's james and john just as much as it is their mother right it's not like one of those like mom power trip moments right Okay, this is not like mom walks up to the coach, why is my kid not getting playing time? Like, this isn't like this, okay? This is totally all of them in conjunction. And sitting next to a king was a place of authority and a place of honor. All right? Now, a king back in those days, didn't have a cell phone. He didn't have a phone at all. He didn't have email. He wasn't able to be in multiple places at once. So he would have people in his kingdom who had the authority of him to be able to do things around and about, whatever. Okay? And that would be the person sitting at his right. And I believe in this passage the left idea as well as this proximity idea. So what James and John are asking is this. We see you're awesome, Jesus. We see you're great. We see you're going to have a kingdom. We see that you're going to be awesome. We see the miracles. We see all this great stuff, and we appreciate you, and we want to be with you 100%. Can we share in power with you? Can we be great with you? Now, to backtrack, the 12 disciples of Jesus in our estimation, would have been viewed as like, they're like, I mean, if, if, we, if they were here, we'd all go, whoa, dude, you guys are intense. I'm amazed at what you were able to do. You actually walked with Jesus for three years. That's pretty crazy. What was it like? Did he smell bad? Like all that stuff. And we would want to know things that the disciples only knew because they were close to Jesus. Here's the problem. The disciples felt that way. The disciples at that time felt like, Dude, we're the closest 12 to you, Jesus. What, like, Can you just like, kick us down some wealth? Like, can, you, can you help us understand like, how much authority we really have? And here's, here's the disciples fighting, okay? So in Matthew 18, we see the disciples are arguing about who is the greatest. Who is the greatest of the 12 disciples? They're fighting about this. In Matthew 19, they're saying to Jesus, okay? right after this rich young ruler thing. In Matthew 19, they say to Jesus, hey, what are we going to get? Like, we've left everything for you. So we see here power, desire for authority, desire to be respected, and we see a materialism in the disciples. And if If that wasn't the worst, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 20 in in, in the story, but at the Last Supper, at the Last Supper, Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to betray me. And you know what this starts an argument about? Who is the greatest? Are you serious? That's what you're going to think about? So the disciples clearly are in this place of they've come to Jesus, and yes, they are following him. Yes, they are doing what he's asking them to do. Yes, they are listening to him. But in their hearts, they are so much more wrapped up in what they're gonna get from this than anything else. Their picture is so small. It's so their own world. They're only viewing the world as if the world was viewed through their own two eyes. They didn't have this like broader picture of what Jesus is doing. They're only wrapped up in what am I going to get? And so how does Jesus respond to this question? He says, "You you have no idea what you're asking. Like if you knew what you were asking, if you understood how I'm going to get my kingdom, You wouldn't want this. This is the crazy part about it. And he asks them, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, we are able. Okay. When Jesus would have asked me anything in 2007, I would say to him, I'm able. Let's do this. What are we doing? Right? What are we doing? I'm able to do this. I've got the initiative. I've got the aggression. I've got it all. Let's do this. Let's, let's, let's fly wherever. Let's whatever. The disciples are caught up in this idea that Jesus is going to have a kingdom, which is great because he does. But what the, don't, the disciples don't realize is that Jesus is going to earn this kingdom or he's going to get this kingdom by allowing himself to be humiliated. beyond anything that these disciples had ever seen. You guys, the cup that Jesus is talking about here, and he's not just talking to the disciples, because each one that come after the disciples, we're following Jesus, right? Our faith is not that we follow a religion or a book. Our faith is that we follow Jesus. And so this cup that Jesus is talking about, he is going to drink The cup of almighty, powerful, all-knowing, all-powerful God. He's going to drink the wrath of God until the last drop is gone. Every ounce of the wrath of God paid whatever by Jesus. He is going to take this cup and he is going to drink it until there's nothing there. And he's asking them, can you be humiliated? Can you suffer like I just did? Are you willing to do that? What they think he's asking is, can you, can you do what I'm going to do? Can you follow me? And what they think he's, the, the disciples, James and John specifically, are so wrapped up in this idea of the kingdom that they're like, yes, yes. Yes, I'll do anything. I will do anything, Jesus, for authority. I will do anything to have power. I will do anything to have stuff. You guys, crucifixion, I think we've kind of known this. And I even think, <laughs> I, I, like, I liked the passion of the Christ because I thought it brought out so much. But I'll be honest with you, there's one point that it missed for me that I really wish we would have seen Jesus is not like this like Hebrew Clint Eastwood or John Wayne sitting on the cross, right? He doesn't like, when he gets lashed with glass whips, he's not going, ugh. Dude was in agony. And when people are in agony, they don't just curl their lip and smile. That's not how we die if we die this way. We look ugly. We look hideous and messy. And I'm gonna tell you something. Jesus up on the cross, it wasn't just the messiness of the cross. Do you know who died on crosses? Slaves. Foreigners. People who had no standing. That's who died on crosses. Roman, noble people, they didn't die on crosses. They died a very prideful death. Death. Maybe beheading with their family and friends around, and they would sit and kneel, and their goal was to have no emotion. I'm gonna tell you something. I believe Jesus had extraordinary emotion on the cross, and I think some of that emotion, that raw emotion, would have been absolutely humiliating for us to see. He did not look stoic. Jesus is telling them, I'm about to take something that is more humiliating than you could ever understand. Can you do this with me? Will you be not just somebody who comes to church, not just somebody who participates in small groups, not just somebody who says you believe something, not just somebody who wears T-shirts, will you do something more even than just reading your Bible in the morning? Would you be humiliated for me? Would you give up your high standing, your view of yourself, that self-righteousness? Will you give that up for me? And Jesus looks at them after they say, we're able, and he says, you will. You will drink this cup. And they did. Acts 12 tells us that, that James was killed. For his faith And John John may have had it way worse, because John, they estimate, possibly was boiled alive at one point in his life, possibly sent to an island called Patmos to do hard labor for the country and the nation of, uh, for, for Rome. These men. James and John didn't know what they were asking and when Jesus tells them what you're asking is going to happen to you they don't even know what's about to happen to them. And I'm not trying to scare you but I'm telling you right now if you want to follow Jesus you don't know what tomorrow today next week looks like but I can guarantee you at some point if you live on this earth you will be humiliated for your faith. Not just not just a gentle suffering. If you really want to follow Jesus, not just have a faith or a religion, there will come a point in your life where you will look ugly for him. Because he he showed us that that's how and what it looks like to follow him at some point. He says to them, it is not for me to tell you whether you can sit at my right or the left. That's for whom God has chosen. He's not going to give them the satisfaction of knowing that they will have authority in the kingdom later on. He does not give them that. But he does say this, as he recognizes the indignation of these 12 people who have been following him, and he looks at James and John, and he thinks, I got it. Hopefully they get this. Hopefully they understand this. And Jesus says to them, after he's called them together, it's like this coming together. It's this loving moment. It's Jesus not condemning them for their self-righteousness and their belief that they needed to be higher than others. It's Jesus bringing them to him and saying, look, I get that you don't get it. I love you. I want to tell you something. You know That the rulers on the earth that you live right now, they lord it over you, over them. You know what that means? All that means is they keep you under and they keep themselves in power. All that means is they keep their, their status. It's saying that the rulers of the Gentiles do everything to keep authority. To keep status, to keep that place, and to keep us down. And then he says, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Meaning this the people who who were considered great in their culture were the people who've achieved a lot. All he's saying is the people who achieve things in life on earth, they just take their rightful place of power. They acknowledge what we acknowledge. We put them on a pedestal, they put themselves on a pedestal. And equal. Got to be modest. They didn't want to go beyond their achievements, but they would brag about all of their achievements. They would spend time telling people why they believed they were great too. In Jesus' kingdom... This next statement is the backbone. This is the real part of following Jesus. It shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. When Jesus says, servant, slave, he's saying the greatest among you are the lowliest. The greatest among you are not going to ride down the street on their chariot later. Those who are exalted in our community are not the people who have high standing in the rest of the world. Jesus is saying, we're different. Jesus is saying, I'm going to take the one who's abused and spit on, unloved, uncherished, rejected, socially awkward, weird, And you, you, I want you not to put yourself above them. I want you to put them above you. No matter how high or how low you think you are in whatever social structure we are today here in Boise, Idaho, in America, wherever, wherever you think you are socially, socially, financially, emotionally, Mentally, however good, whatever place you bank on you being better or you being good or you being something. Jesus is saying, take yourself down and you put the weakest among you in a place where you serve them. Now, I think there's a way That believers do this. I think there's a way that we put ourselves above other people. And I think it's hard to see at first. It's hard to see. We don't have like class, a class system in the United States. Okay. We have this like fluid line of like socioeconomic status and trying to figure out who we value and certain people value others and certain people value these people. Okay. But I want, I want to do something for a second. And I want you to think, is, is any of this me? And and I'm going to tell you straight up right now, some of it's me. Okay, For me to think up these particular things that I'm about to say, I had to feel them at some point in my life. A church community, even like ours, which I consider us to be a great church community wanting to live out the kingdom. Even in our community, there is still an unhealthy power structure, an unhealthy view of self an unhealthy exaltation of self. I'm better because I'm pretty. I'm better because I have more money. I'm better because I get better grades. I'm better because I play a sport in college. I'm better because I have more money. There's still unhealthy power structure in our own brains here. We didn't walk into the kingdom of God without some sort of like really jacked up view. And so... Here are some of the ways I believe that the community of God, us, speaking to myself here as well, that I think we do this, okay? A community of God that has an unhealthy view of who is great and who is not. Sometimes they may elevate a particular godly trait above others, okay? And look down on those who don't show this particular godly trait i.e., someone who sings passionately outwardly, which is good, and we should all strive together to sing without fear, and we may be tempted to believe that we have better faith. I'm going to tell you right now, if you think you have better faith than someone else, that's not how Jesus views you. Nowhere does it say that the best among us handle their finances well. Nowhere does it say that the best among us do hours and hours of service projects. Nowhere does it say that the best among us is the best parent. Nowhere does it say that the best among us speak most eloquently or can play great music or preach That is not what Jesus says. The best among us are not those who necessarily we would immediately view as the best. I can tell you straight up because I know my own life. If you think that I think that I'm better than you because I'm up here, I'm gonna tell you straight up that is not true. I know my own sin. I see it every single day. I see the nastiness inside of me. I see the thoughts that if I wrote them down, man, I'd be on some watch list somewhere. And you know what I'm talking about. Even even those of you who are so innocent of evil, you're so good. I know it your heart is good. It's not good. Now we don't take pride in our nastiness. That's not what I'm trying to get us to do. I'm trying to help us see that, that those who consider themselves more godly, who who have a greater restraint, who understand something and do something well, that those are not the great ones. The great ones aren't somebody who just simply does something well and shows it. Sometimes we wrongly assume that greater knowledge of the Bible, greater understanding of how church works, greater understanding of our history or longer time in the church, sometimes we think that those people are better. But there are scholars of the Bible, you guys. This is crazy to me. When I found this out, it rocked my faith and it caused me to doubt a little bit and then I had to go back to Jesus and realize that we're all sinful, right? That's the core. There are scholars of the Bible, doctorates, who do nothing but study the New Testament, who are staunch atheists. That blew my mind. Now, Colossians 3.16 says this, very simply and very humbly. We need to let the word of God dwell in us richly. I'm not saying that we don't study the word of God. I'm saying the exact opposite. We need God's word because it shows us these things. But do not begin to think that that is what makes someone great it isn't sometimes we think of leaders as more important than us people who have been in leadership but i'm going to give you a little secret it's out okay i'm just saying i'm not saying we're like anarchy but but here's what i'm saying first peter 2 says this we are a kingdom of priests you are a worship leader And you are a worship leader And you are a worship leader If you believe in Christ You are a worship leader You are a priest In the kingdom of God No one person is better Than another And you have value You have something to give If I keep going too long 11 o'clock service Is just going to join us All right. So uh, And sometimes this This is the last thing And this is where I think the real, the real part of it is, you guys, we bring the same value system we had outside the church into the church. We view people the same way outside the church and inside the church. I'm gonna give you three verses that hopefully kill this in you and me. Romans 12:10, love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in showing honor colossians three twenty there is neither jew nor greek there is neither slave nor free there is neither male nor female for all are one in christ jesus and the last one james 2 1 through 4 my brothers show no partiality as you hold the faith in our lord jesus christ the lord of glory for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly And a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and judges with evil thoughts? So what do we do with this? Jesus tells us, That if we want to be great, and we want to actually follow Jesus, not just have a religion, not just have a church, not just have a place that we do, go, whatever. If we want to actually follow Jesus, we will do the same thing he did. We will lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. You will let go of your life, not just for Jesus, but for each other. When you see someone in need in this community, we mimic Jesus and joyfully give with love and generosity. Do you want to know why? Because we are the least. That nastiness I talked about earlier, that's in all of us. Jesus freed us from slavery to the nastiness that we could have had. We should have drank the full cup of God's wrath. We should have been humiliated like Jesus. But Jesus was humiliated on our behalf. Now we willingly put ourselves in a position, to let go of our pride, and willingly take on whatever humiliation for the sake of our brothers and sisters in the world. I can't do this. If you were to ask me today to do it, I couldn't do it. But I know that God is working in me and making me into that type of person. And I want to tell you what the application is. Sometimes, sometimes at church there's very specific applications. Here's what I'm going to give you. Look. Look for the spaces and the places in the community of God that you can lay yourself down and help another person. Some of you, stop worshiping your savings account. Some of you, stop worshiping your church. guys, this is the most powerful kingdom the entire world has ever known. And no kingdom has lasted longer or grown for longer than the kingdom of Jesus Christ on the earth, even amidst a sinful world. This kingdom will rise. This kingdom will end with victory. But for now, we must live out that kingdom here and now. Amen. God, thank you so much, um, that we get to sing right now. Um, Lord, I pray that, uh, that the folks here, including myself, would be humbled what it, by what it is that you told to your disciples, and that we would be in a place today where um, we would not simply walk away, uh, close our eyes, and just move on, but that we would be humble enough to serve one another today. God, I thank you for your victory in my life over sin and death. And I pray, Lord, that there would be more and more victory when it comes to actually following you. Thank you, Jesus. pray these things in Jesus' name.